ACDC Beyond the Thunder podcast is back in black with your host, Kurt Squires, with Greg Ferguson and Eric Deal. For those about to talk, we salute you. Hello, I'm your host, Kurt Squires. Yes, still obsessed with all things ACDC. Still attempting to answer that elusive question about why they make us tick and bob our heads up and down and rock out. And right here by my side in a gurney is the tenacious Eric Keel, all doped up on heavy meds and fighting some serious vertebrae issues. But you're still here. Thank you, Eric. And of course, over there is the man who goes by the name of Triple G, who in fact witnessed Simon Wright play at the Worcester Centrum in Massachusetts back in 1985. Please welcome Mr. Greg Ferguson. Hello, hello, guys. Great to be hanging out with you guys again. And uh, Eric, thanks for uh, forging through with your hurt back and I uh, appreciate that you're here. Kind of a fun day today, huh, Kurt? Oh yeah, definitely. Whenever there's a member of ACDC on board, I get a little bit more mm. horny <laughs> <laughs> well strangely enough after doing research for this interview greg i came to the realization that the first time i actually witnessed phil rudd play live wasn't until he was 20 years into his career with acdc in the mid 90s because I'd seen Phil on TV and live concert videos for so long that I actually believed I'd seen him play, but that's not true. It was Simon Wright throughout the entire 80s, and that dude was solid. Same thing here. You know, when we talked about this, I, I didn't realize that either. And uh, honestly, I think I was just focused on Brian and Angus anyway, so I had no idea who was behind the kit. They, you know, my seats weren't great. Everyone was looking a little small, but... Um, <laughs> I'm pretty psyched that I got to see Simon play. Yeah, and this interview is uh, something I've been looking forward to because Simon, as you know, is one of the few guys that uh, departed from ACDC, and that doesn't happen very often. So I'm very interested to hear uh, the two sides of Simon, one with ACDC and one afterwards. So um, I know he's a, he's a great guy, so I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, I mean, it's not often we get to talk with a former bandmate. And uh, I mean, Kurt, you probably get this question all the time, but a lot of people during the time we were filming our documentary and, and now the podcast, uh, everyone wants to know, like, when are you going to interview the band? Honestly, my, my response is it's, it's about the band, but we're really interested in the cool stories that surround the band, the people who've been influenced by the band and the people who have had, you know, epiphanies because of the band. But this is kind of a cool episode. We get a little bit of the inside scoop with Simon. So it's kind of a switch. It's nice. Okay, let's shake things up with this very special edition, Foundation Shaking ACDC Beyond the Thunder episode, a podcast that highlights everyone from well-known athletes and actors, chefs and comedians, priests and politicians and wrestlers to writers while trying to accurately pinpoint just how ACDC's influence so many lives around us in so many wonderful ways. But what if you were actually in the eye of the storm as the drummer of ACDC who kept the band's heartbeat alive throughout the 80s and then went on to sit behind the drum kit for even more rock and roll heroes, including Ronnie James Dio, 
Michael Schenker of UFO, John Norm of Europe, Jeff Tate's Queensryche, and recently forming Metal Gods, the ultimate ode to Dio and Judas Priest. Ladies and gentlemen, ACDC Beyond the Thunder has officially sent for the man all the way from sunny California. Please welcome veteran stickman, Mr. Simon Wright. Hey guys, how you doing out there? So nice to have you on the show, man. Pleasure. Great to have you. Be here. So we wanted to ask you about the town of Oldham. Is that near Greater Manchester? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's probably about, I couldn't say exactly, probably about 15 miles away from the city center. It And it's got its own city center. So it's like a smaller town. Okay. Compare that where you're living now. Describe what life was like growing up over there compared to where you are now in sunny California. Um, it, that's a good question. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've been back home, obviously, and um, it's really strange. I mean, the streets seem really, really small and narrow and stuff, and the houses are all c completely jammed together. But I had a good upbringing there. I really enjoyed myself as a kid. We had, a, we were really happy, f laughing family pretty much all the time, you know, and uh, it's a pretty simple upbringing, really, till I found drums, then it got a bit noisier. <laughs> I was going to say, you, do you are you the only person in your family that has a musical bone, or did you start that bloodline? No, my father, uh, he used to play a snare drum in, 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 in the Scouts, but he never continued it. Okay. You know, he was nothing but encouragement to me. So was my mother, you know, when I was playing or learning how to play and stuff. So that was a blessing, you know. It could have been a real nightmare for him, but they, they put up with it. Nice. They bought you your first drum kit. It was a used drum kit, right? Yeah, my dad did. There was a keyboard player lived like three doors, three doors down who had a kit but didn't want to, you know, play it anymore and became a keyboard player. It was It was a real mess when we got it. We had to paint it and fix it up yeah were they the type of parents that would support you throughout your career did they go to your shows yeah 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 they would come along and all the great moment was when i i played with acdc we did the castle donnington thing in england and all and uh, they came along and my cousins and my aunts and uncles and <laughs> you know the whole lot they drank the beer tent dry you know <laughs> <laughs> that's classic i wasn't trying to prove anything to them really any of them they all were very supportive of me you know but again they were surprised when i got such a such a high profile gig you know so it was nice it was really cool great day and so what were your early influences there was i heard zeppelin thin lizzy ufo and all of those drummers, of course, were really big influences. Is there anyone else you want to throw in there? There was a whole big string of them. I mean, when I first started, it was there was only a program on television where you could see music, and that was Top of the Pops. And they had a, you know, it was, it was a bunch of disco and glam rock and stuff. You know, it was a um, big selection of drummers out there. I just found it fascinating watching drummers, you know, and stuff and. How the hell they did that. Right. And that's where you first saw ACDC, right? On, on Sight and Sound. That's right. What was it? It was supposed to be somebody else. It, in the in the TV guide, it said it was going to be Nazareth. Yes. Um, yeah. So we're sitting there. You know, there's not much music on the TV. So I'm sitting in the front room with my dad and my, I think my mom was there too. You know, it came on and there was a cancellation. And there's this band from Australia called ACDC. And me and my dad are like, oh, what, whatever. 
But when they started up, I mean, it's like nothing we'd ever seen before. I mean, it was like just so raw and, and in your face. I mean, it was like, geez, totally. what is this? You know? <laughs> yeah, it was amazing to see them. And I liked them, obviously, ever since, you know. And they're going to rock and roll for us right now. <laughs> I don't know if that's part of the sound, but anyway, would you welcome, please, ACDC. How did that affect you after seeing that performance? Did you go right out and purchase an album and uh, see them live? Well, there wasn't much in the record stores from them because it was what they just released. I think it, I think that was like on the If You Want Blood tour. Yeah, from, you know the live album they were right, promoting. I, right. could be, I could be wrong, but somewhere around that era, seventy seven, seventy eight. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there were only a couple of record stores in Manchester. There was one that did imports, and I eventually found an album by them. I found Let There Be Rock, and uh, yeah, just what this this is amazing, you know? right? <laughs> yeah. So uh, I had read where you were a bricklayer, and you started around that time. You were starting your first band called Torah. Torah. Did you stay in school, or did you drop out to pursue music at that time? Oh no, I, I did the I did the years. You did at school, but we had a band that's you know when we were kids at school and stuff. Yeah, and it went through various names. It was just school friends, you know. Um, one was one minute it was called Wildfire, then it was called I can't remember like Hemisphere or something, and it ended up being Tora Tora. So it was like you know, it's just a it didn't really mean anything. It was just a name. Yeah. Then some of your early bands included stints with. A to Z and Titan, which I re recently listened to. It's got a little bit of a Dio flair to that band, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of that melodic, heavy, heavy rock kind of uh, kind of feel to it. Yeah, the singer was Cal Swan. Okay, yeah. Yeah, great singer. Great, nice guy too, you know. I, I finished up the album because Les Binks from Judas Priest did most of the tracks. Yeah. So I did about, two, did I do two or three? Um and we finished up the album. I'd recorded the last two tracks at the Who's old studio on Rampart in London, which is pretty cool. They had the pulpit there. Keith Moon used to do this. Oh, wow. This, <laughs> you know. Crazy. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that unfortunately didn't last that long, yeah. you know. Uh, but before that, yeah, it was A to Z. That was like the first band that I had joined that I actually had a record contract. So that was a... That was a bit of a step for me, you know. It was it was good, and they were all from Manchester, whereas Titan are from London. Yeah. So you moved to London, but nothing was really clicking at the time, right? And you is that when you read the ad in the paper? Yeah, yeah. It, it, like I say, that I was that was the stuff after Titan. You know, nothing had happened with Titan. We did one show in a year, and I'm thinking, well, this is this ain't gonna work, <laughs> you know. So. Um, yeah, a friend saw the ad and showed it to me and, uh, you know, I made a call and 
arranged for a, a, an audition. Unbelievable. And just yeah. for listeners, just to set the stage, um, ACDC were recording Flick of the Switch in the Bahamas with ACDC's drummer, Phil Rudd. His days were kind of numbered at that point. He was burnt out or presumably over-medicating himself or some other personal drama was unfolding. And Malcolm kind of gave him the first ticket home. Uh, and so in 1983, ACDC had no drummer. Um, and I was going to read you a few things, see if they were actually accurate. But the first thing that they did was bring in Procol Harum drummer B.J. Wilson, who didn't work out. And then the band held like 400 auditions in New York while they were mixing Flick of the Switch. They came up with nothing. And then they continued to hold like 300 more auditions in London. They test drove um, Simon Kirk of Free and Paul Thompson of Roxy Music. And again, they just weren't feeling it. But then in walks Simon Wright off the street and blows them away. Can you describe that moment for us? It really wasn't a, a big deal when I met them because, because they... Obviously, it was deep inside for me. I mean, I'm just like bursting. But they were so uh, they were so so down to earth. I mean, they were just regular regular blokes. I mean, it was just so, and it made the audition with them so much easier. Yeah, you know, they were just so down to earth, and uh, you know, it's like, hey, what songs you know? You want, what do you want to play? You know, so I'm going. Oh well, we could try Back in Black or, or a whole lot Rosie or Let's Be Rock. So like, oh, good, okay. You've got to make a groove. You know, it's not about your 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 musical capabilities and how many drum fills you can do. You know, right. And we finished up. You know, and um, they seemed to like it and said, "Great." You know, they started talking about touring, and I'm going. I'm thinking, should I be here listening to this? It's <laughs> a bit private, you know. Right. Took you know all of my muster to lean over and ask Mal. I said, "Does this mean I'm in the band?" And he said, "Yeah, it looks like it, doesn't it?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I gotta get out of here. I gotta call me dad. That is so <laughs> classic ACDC style of communication. It's like their first language is guitar and their second language is English. And like, I don't think they ever told Brian or Cliff or Mark Evans, for that matter, that they were actually in the band. They were just like, yeah. uh, he'll figure it out. You know? yeah. <laughs> That's right. It, it, it worked out, <laughs> you know. There's an official checklist that I put together and see if this cross-checks with you. So you did, in fact, hit hard, which is what the ad asked for. Yeah. You were super down-to-earth and approachable guy. You were full of energy. You were young. What are you, like 20 years old or something? 19, 20? Yeah. And you weren't going to ask for a big contract because you're you know fresh off the street. Plus, you probably fit the unwritten height requirement rule correct yeah yeah <laughs> uh, how tall are you i don't even know yeah i'm like five three oh you're in you're totally in yeah yeah <laughs> so you totally hit the checklist there so on august 5th 1983 simon wright becomes the new member of acdc which is approaching 40 years ago which is amazing i have to say i was pretty excited when you joined acdc i thought you fit the band perfectly to be honest well thanks thanks yeah i tried i mean it's you know, Phil Rudd's a phenomenon. It's just the way he plays. He's got this this inbuilt groove. And, you know, I just tried to dial in with him. 
Yeah. You know, what he'd done rather, you know, and, uh, or what he didn't do. Yeah, that's another thing. That's the brilliance of him. What he doesn't do. Yeah. Yeah. That's that, an integral part to that band. Yeah. I was always wondering when you were auditioning with them, I knew you had, uh, played your first round was like ZZ Top's Tush and then an ACDC track, uh, Shoot the Thrill. Yeah. And then Zeppelin's Black Dog. How did you get through Black Dog, man? That's not an easy song to play. Yeah, it wasn't. I mean, I, I, I sort of got to the stop where it stops yeah. for a minute. I just sort of, I didn't hit the, the downbeat. I just sort of caught up with it. Yeah. Da, 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 you know, I just sort of caught up with it, but I was, I kept myself in time. So that's impressive. <laughs> that's know. impressive. So the first time I ever saw ACDC fully animated was the flick of the switch video on TV. I was a fan since like 1979, but it took four years to actually see them move because this was before the internet. Um, yeah. I hadn't seen any footage of them. So for all I know, you're the drummer on Flick the Switch, which we know was Phil drumming. But um, that was the best drum syncing I've ever seen in my life. Like you hit every cymbal and snare on the beat during that video. It was pretty incredible. Yeah, well, you know, when you're kind of drum syncing, I guess you'd call it. Yeah. Because <laughs> it is just a video. Then, yeah, you, you just listen and you just nail every hit and every cymbal hit and just memorize it. I wasn't told to do that, but I thought that would be the best thing to do. Yeah, I totally noticed it. I'm like, wow, he's on every single hit. Doesn't matter if it's the hi-hat or the crash cymbal. I'm like, wow, it's amazing. Yeah. How did your first gig go? Was that in Canada? How did that feel? You must have been like, you're in the big leagues now. This is crazy. Yeah, it was, um, you know, leading up to it, it was a bit, you know, we did a lot of rehearsing and we rehearsed with the uh, uh, production as well. I forget where. I think it was in London. Okay. I can't remember. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, again, like I told you about them, you know, when I first met them, they're, they're so down to earth. I mean, um, I was just amazed that the, you know, behind the back line, there's like this big walkway and, uh, you know, there's a bar back there. There's like a small hell's bell, nice. you know, there's a dartboard and oh, fridges cool. with beer. And so it's, it was just like a pub kind of sort of thing, you know? And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I never drank before I played and stuff like that. So it was, uh, you know, I was a little bit nervous, but everybody was in good spirits and stuff. And uh, the drum tech warned me. He said, when the lights go down, Si, it's going to get really, really loud. Just, you know, don't worry about it. Just <laughs> just get up there and play. Yeah. And he wasn't wrong. It got just insanely loud. I mean, it's like fucking nuts, you know. <laughs> but I, once you start playing and you just kind of get over it, you get through the first song, you, you're like, okay, here we go. Guns for hire, I think. Yes. And um, it's fun, but it's your job, so you got to get it done, you know? Couldn't help but think this must have been a lot for a 20 year old kid 
ACDC are already veterans at this point. They, they're married, some have kids, and they've been doing this forever, uh, or at least five or six years. And how crazy did it get on the road for you? Um, it wasn't that crazy. I mean, um, we'd, uh, we'd be drinking, obviously, you know, and having a laugh. Brian is yeah. great. Brian Johnson is just 200 jokes a minute, you know. I mean, yeah. he's, it's just, you're laughing. It's funny stuff, you know. I mean, but nothing really crazy, to be honest with you. You know, there'd be the hotel bars and a lot of people and stuff. And if you wanted to do that, you could do that. I wasn't used to being away, I must admit. You know, it, 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 that was something I had to sort of deal with. I'd not really been anywhere. Yeah. I mean, the first time I flew on a plane was when we did rehearsals in a, in Los Angeles. And Wow. You, you know, yeah, it was a bit of a whirlwind, but it, it, it was okay. Got through it. <laughs> yeah, I think about it. You had three sold-out shows at Madison Square Garden, the Monsters of Rock Festival, and then Rock in Rio in front of a quarter of a million people or so. That's, that's uh, pretty frightening, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it, it can be. I mean, it, there were some nerves there, but once you, like I was saying, you know, once you get playing, you just, you just settle in and you, you're slamming away and you're in, your adrenaline takes over and all. And, uh, you know, just sitting there watching Angus fly by every, you know, every, every, every minute you know it's uh like it definitely is an inspiration yeah was there one member who kind of s stuck out as kind of took you under your wing and and got the most advice from not really no we all kind of had our own way of dealing with being on the road and stuff you know we'd all hang out at the bar together and stuff angus didn't drink so he was uh would be resting upstairs or at another corner of the bar and a cup of tea or something but yeah. uh, no not one i i always um I've said it a lot. I mean, uh, Malcolm was the one who was kind of, you know, at the steering wheel, you know, quietly, like nothing, no shouting and screaming or anything, you know, but just the quiet authority about him, you know, which I found uh, really amazing. Gentle giant. Smart man. Yeah. Well, I, I remember a story I heard, uh, speaking of Monsters of Rock, you walking by, and, you know, these moments in your career, you have several of them. You were walking by and you popped your head around and you saw... Eddie Van Halen kind of noodling and jamming with Angus yeah, Young. That, well, he, they were in they were in the tuning room, and we we would all there was a dressing room, and then there was a little tuning room, you know, just for Angus to warm up or whatever. And we'd usually all head over to the tuning room and meet up with Ang, and then get led to the stage, you know. So we were all ready. So I was I headed over there, opened the door, and there's Eddie Van Halen and Angus jamming the blues. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's cool. Unbelievable. <laughs> you know, you're not going to see that very many times. No. In life. And, and I got, you know, I said hello to Eddie and he, he just started chatting away to me and uh, super nice guy, just super down to earth and friendly. And he even gave me his phone number. He said, because I lived in LA and he does. So he said, give me, you know, give me a call, man. And I didn't, wow. obviously, you know. Yeah. So your, uh, your first fingerprints onto acdc's catalog began with fly on the wall recorded in a casino ballroom at mountain studios at montrose switzerland yes the same place where they recorded smoke on the water um which gave your drum kit this huge sound right it was massive yeah it was a huge room yeah it was um we had to put it you know the guitars and the drums and the you know the bass rig into these like kind of huts 
kind of baffles on wheels and they so there was some separation you know it wasn't just one big huge echoing racket right you know it's like <laughs> yeah but um they did put baffles around the drum kit as i remember but the, the roof you know there was no roof on it it was just open to this huge room so i think that's where a lot of the ambience came okay because there there is a lot of ambience on there and i was wondering do do the young brothers ever come in and say i'd like to play the drums like this or is it all simon wright bringing it to the table on fly on the wall no i what i played is a lot of what i played in rehearsal you know i just kept it as as, as straightforward because I, I i knew that's what they needed you know you can't just start go on going yeah. doing triplets on the bass drum and stuff like this you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> if they were, that wouldn't have gone down well at all <laughs> no well you know when i think of a track like shake your foundations it's clearly all you there's no way phil would have gotten away with those super cool drum fills at the intro uh and i love those <laughs> Well, some of those were um, the way that Angus and Malcolm would work with the songwriting and stuff is like Marlon would demo stuff at home and then Angus would too. And they bring them in the rehearsal and we give them a listen. So Malcolm had that kind of drum pattern already figured out. He, he figured that out. I changed a little bit of it, I think, but he didn't mind. Yeah. So it was cool. But yeah, I mean, it's it's between Angus and Mal, they would bring in the ideas and uh, Mal's were a bit more organized and Ang Angus's were a bit more live. And uh, sometimes he would play the drums to the riff that he was doing, you know. Oh, cool. Yeah. Is there a standout track for you on that album as far as your performance goes? Something that you're really proud of? Um, I always like the track Sink the Pink. I thought that turned out all right. But there's a couple of others on there. It's hard to pin one down. You know, they've all got their moments. Yeah. You know, it was such a pleasure and an honor to do it, you know, to actually them letting me play on to their riffs. Right. <laughs> you know. I was always a big fan of uh, First Blood, possibly my favorite send for the man. It's just like this nasty, meanest ACDC riff of all time and maybe the hardest hitting drums of all time it sounds amazing i like that tune too i think that's really heavy and i think that drum sound helped that song too being a little bit bigger than and not quite as dry as some of the albums before had been so i think it gave it that bigness totally was released and the the artwork and the title came in front of you for the first time and you're looking at it what was your first reaction um well i hadn't seen the album cover but 
we we were doing the, the small documentary, the mini documentary to about five of the songs on it in New York. Oh, yeah. I think I saw the album cover about halfway through and it sort of made sense because they were going to have a character that was flying around in it yes. and stuff. And it was at a rock club and a pretty simple story, really. But, you know, they they pretty much blew it apart, you know. Yes. I remember picking that up, being so excited that I was going to get five ACDC songs in a row and then i the bummer was it was like oh it showed you guys playing like 15 percent of the time and the rest of it was all story you know yeah i always enjoy live performances more i've got to admit but it was what it was i really didn't have a say in that. <laughs> <laughs> you know being the newbie it was great to see you up there behind the skins when we went to see you live both greg and i actually went to see our first acdc show with simon wright behind the drum kit so uh i was pretty psyched and and you guys pulled out jailbreak which was must have been like a 10 or 11 minute song for you to play yeah i think angus did his did his little uh trip titties. he used to do that in bad boy boogie didn't he yes we ended up trying it in jailbreak and uh it's cool you know it's 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 got that you know cheekiness yes. and stuff yeah i love the song jailbreak that's a great song yeah it was cool that they added that to that set, that that actual tour. Great riff, yeah, yeah. And Angus used to, at the first time, I believe that he used a, a whammy bar on his SG. He had an SG that he brought. Yes, I saw that. I was like, is he, is he trying to keep up with Eddie on that or what? Well, he, he wasn't really, um, what's the word? He wasn't really being flash with it. Yeah. He was just doing a lot of the, you know, the down runs and stuff like that. Yes. I don't think there's a comparison there. <laughs> Either uh, way. Yeah. Well, let's uh let's talk about your next adventure in the Bahamas. You're all over the place recording, which is pretty fun for you, I'm sure. You were in um Compass Point Studios with George and Harry, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was for um Who Made Who? Yes. Yes. Stephen King driven soundtrack who who made who and a song that actually features both you and cliff at the beginning of the song which is pretty cool it had like a honky tonk woman vibe to that tune uh, a little bit yeah. yeah i've always i've always enjoyed songs like that you know that just start off gradually with the drums and then a bass or yeah just build up a little bit i thought it was good really kind of revitalized acdc in the mid 80s there a lot with uh, the sales were did really well what would that now? Did Stephen King come down and visit you guys? Yes, he did. He came down one time. We were uh, we were in the middle of it doing some instrumentals or, or an instrumental part to the movie. It was kind of weird because they they I think it was George and Mal thought it be, might be an idea, yeah, a good idea to bring in like televisions into the studio when I was doing my tracking thing, so I could sort of follow the crashes, right? Truck crashes and the car crashes <laughs> and the. <laughs> Freaking lawnmower crashes. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm sitting there going like, this is bizarre. <laughs> I'm playing to a television. That's, what's going on here? But I did it. I just, you know, pacified him and got the job done as best I could. Oh, so. my God. I don't know how you got through that because that was a bizarre movie. It's kind of like a cult classic now, I guess, but it was very yeah. strange. That was his direct debut and i heard he was like coked out of his mind while he was directing that movie and it shows maybe yeah it's not one of the most incredibly great brilliance 
<laughs> but uh, you know, I mean, like there again, that wasn't I didn't have anything to do with that decision. So I had to, I was just there doing my stuff, you know. <laughs> so it was like, but um, yeah, he did come down, say hello and stuff, and we went out to dinner. And uh, he's an interesting guy. I met him a few times. He's definitely he's a strange man. He's in, a little bit intense, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it helps with the horror movie thing. I think so. It's probably a benefit. I, I wanted to say I wish that they would release a Who Made Who special edition with all of those soundtrack bits and pieces that were left on the cutting room floor because I, I don't know if you remember those, but I've heard a few of those surfaced, and they're so cool, the ones that were in the film but not on the soundtrack. I haven't heard them i uh, uh as far as i can remember and, and it was a long time ago i think there was some blue stuff that angus played that was that wasn't on the on the uh, that didn't make the film cut but i don't think there was any performances well i just so happened to may have found one can i play it for you and see if it's officially you yeah all right let's play it Sound familiar? Yeah, I, when that bass, that bass lip came in. Really? Yeah, that was kind of, of a start up for uh, what did that end up being? Um, shit, I forget the name of the song. Someone called it Contra Attack. I found it online and I'm like, who got this? And thank God they did because it's so cool. <laughs> yeah. I think that was an actual just messing around, really. Yeah. I mean, but I think it did lead up to being, uh, oh, what's it called? I can't remember the name of the song on there. DT? Like, uh, Chase the Ace? Not Chase the Ace, the the other one. Um, DT? Yeah, DT, that's it. But I could be wrong. There was There's a lot of stuff. It's like when we would do sound checks and stuff. People have asked me, did you write any songs during sound check? And it's like, no. We would just like jam the blues. <laughs> like Angus would start up, Brian would start singing something. You know, it's just, it's just, it's just out of boredom. Yeah, really. Right. You just start playing and noodling around. You know, it's it's no big deal. It's not like a a song, <laughs> so to speak. You know. I've noticed that on that soundtrack, they had noodled with it's almost like a dance remix of Shaker Foundations. Did what did you think of that? And who did that? Was that uh, George Young who remixed that? I. Do I know what you're talking about? I like they took all those funky drum beats out. I don't know who remixed it. Yeah, you know, it like a a special EP version of it, I think, or something. Yeah, my sister actually showed me one Christmas, and I said, "What's that?" You know, <laughs> you know, they'd like chopped up the drums and made the intro a bit longer and yes. stuff and bits here, and I'm like, "Oh, oh okay." <laughs> Well, I, I um, saw that show as well, and I remember you guys added She's Got Balls, which was a really cool throwback tune to add to that set list. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. Um, when they first mentioned it, I was it's not it, it's kind of up-tempo, but not, you know what I mean? And yeah. There was a good, uh, nice long middle section in the middle of that. Yeah, nice groove to it. I would change up question for you. You have a, this huge commanding sound to your drums and 
um, out of curiosity, of all the bands you've played with, what's the most difficult track that you've ever had to play live? Of all of the bands that I've been yeah, involved with? Yeah, That would be the the Queensryche stuff that I had to learn. That's what I yeah. thought. Yeah, there's like, um, you know, we did all of op- the album Operation My Crime live. Right. And um, yeah, there's some little tricky turns on that one. You got to you got to really pay attention. So but it was it was it was good. It was fun doing it. You know, it was working it all out. Right. And how did a song like Let There Be Rock compare to something like that, where it's just like brutal for seven or eight minutes of just pounding the same thing over and over? Well, well, that's it. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 you know, with the song off off of Operation Mindcrime, it needs a little bit of thought, and uh, uh, you've really got to be thinking about things where the next, you know, change is going to come up. And you know, with uh, with Let There Be Rock, it's just put pure stamina. Yeah, you know, uh, keeping that groove, keeping the groove going. You know, right underneath, you know, Cliff and Ma- and Malcolm. You know, that was that was. That was awesome too. You know, I mean, uh, it's like a freaking train coming at you. It's amazing. Well, if you had to pick, if we had to pick a Simon Wright era of ACDC, Blow Up Your Video might be a good place to start because it felt like the team was back with Harry and George uh, and you were at the south of France, right? Yeah, it was south of France. Yes. It's a lovely place. I mean, it was just so picturesque and quiet and like you used to be an old winery. Oh, nice. And what did you what did you appreciate working with George and Harry in the studio the most? Uh, just their knowledge, you know, their their way of having a kind of like a schedule. Yeah. It it moved things forward a little bit. And they they were just so professional. I mean, Harry was great. They were both great, you know. Yeah. You know, they 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 could they knew what was going on. It was nice to have them back too. And uh, blow up your video had not the traditional ACDC groove. It was more like it had some jazz and funk thrown in there a little bit. If you listen to your drum work on Mean Street or <laughs> That's the Way I Want to Rock and Roll, that little hi-hat work, that was really fun. was was just like old school rock and roll like bill haley haley or something totally you know that era and and the other stuff i mean it it was just it was just those riffs they just kind of called for that kind of groove you know and uh it, it just kind of came out that way you know you we definitely weren't thinking jazz when we were doing it <laughs> yeah i know it felt a little different which was nice because you know i i know that you were kind of getting a little itchy at that point with the four on the floor and like Hey, let's change things up a little bit so you could tell. And uh, it was a nice change, I thought. Yeah, I mean, it. Um, there was some on Gozone and stuff. There was a couple of little ups and changes there. That was cool. It was all good. I enjoyed recording it there. Like I said, working with Harry and George was uh, God bless them. Was a real treat because I knew their history and stuff. And um, there was a lady at uh, who worked for Alberts in 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 Sydney in Australia who would come out and see them. He, she'd known them for years. Her name was Fifa Riccobono. Oh, yes. One day she bought me this whole big pack of cassettes of uh, George and Harry's a band they used to have called Flash in the Pan. Oh, yes, I remember them. Yeah, and 
I hadn't really heard them, and I put them in the Walkman. <laughs> yes. I was amazed, you know, so so I, I knew a little bit about them before they came in. So that was cool, and I, I really respected them, you know, the, the, the way that the stuff that they'd done before. You know, I remember their uh, tra- they had a track called Hey St. Peter, maybe. Yeah, yeah, that was really fun, very catchy, great pop songs. Yes, totally. And so, you kicked off that tour in Australia. I had heard where ACDC were toying with the idea of playing It's a Long Way to the Top. Is that true? Um, because they had never played that after Bond had passed. So, I thought it was pretty wild to think about putting that into the set list, but. I had heard a rumor. No, I, I can't remember. I mean, we were trying to change the setup a little bit. I do remember that. I think we rehearsed uh, in New Orleans for a couple of weeks. We tried like Dog Eat Dog and Riff Raff, I think, as well. But I don't recall anything about it's a long way at the top. That would have been a great idea. Oh, my God, yeah. Me and Brian were always like, oh, why don't we try this one? You know, yeah. I'm like, how about Down Payment Blues, you know? Mal would go, oh, that's a long one, you know. All right. <laughs> <I'm> like, shit. <laughs> Mal had the final word, huh? Well, not really. You know, we, you know, it's not a make or break kind of conversation. Yeah. It's just thrown in there, you know what I mean? Right. Well, now that you had this steady paycheck coming in, or at least I hope you did, uh, what's the most righteous thing you bought during your time with ACDC? I bought a house in England, and then I sold that, and then I bought another home in uh, South Los Angeles. Oh, nice. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't over the top, but it was it was nice to be able to afford to buy a house. Totally. <laughs> yeah, so that, that was about the most extravagant, really. Yeah, nothing flash, no, no Porsches, 911s, or anything like that. Oh, I did buy, um, <laughs> I had an Audi 4.5 Cloverleaf. Oh, Brian must have been impressed. Yeah, he was. He was, yeah. You know, one of the crew said to me, oh, that's great. What's your insurance going to be like? It's like insuring a boy with a rocket, right? <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah, it is a bit that way, plug. <laughs> During that tour, you said you had witnessed a scuffle between Malcolm and Angus and Things were kind of not going well for Mal, and it was time for him to kind of step aside. That must have freaked you out about the future of ACDC a little bit, did it not? Well, it was a bit of a shocking moment. Yeah, I'd never seen that before with Mal acting like that. Um, And we were all deeply concerned about him. Mm. But it didn't last long because I think Malcolm had already figured it out. He says, I need to get out of here. I need to go home, see my, my son. You know, obviously the family member, Stevie, their family, they'd always kept in touch and stuff. And Stevie had a band. I think his band opened up, though, on the Backing Black tour years before. So, uh, but, you know, he's, he's, he's family. So yeah. Stevie came in and did a cracking job. You know, yeah. In fact, I was at Stevie's very first show ever. All right, I would have been so proud of him if I knew it was Stevie because he looked just like Malcolm and he played yeah. like Malcolm. I was like, oh, Malcolm was uh, Malcolm did a great job, it wasn't Malcolm? I know I would look over sometimes and I'd go, that's just like Mal, Jesus. You know, he's got that the back of his foot tapping away all the time. His head's going. Same clothes. Yeah. Same guitar, maybe. It was pretty trippy, but uh, he did a great job filling in. Yeah, it was It was a shame about when it happened with Malik. I'm just so glad, it, you know, it finally it got sorted and he came around again and came back and got everything right again.
got to think about that time for you during the end of the decade. Brian's going through a divorce. Malcolm's kind of like regrouping. Uh, the musical landscape is changing. You're getting tired of the whole four on the floor thing. And the 80s was kind of a rough period in general. They had lost Bon Scott and Phil Rudd was kicked out. New manager. PMRC is down your throats. Like, this is a lot going on for you guys. So I don't blame you for kind of like saying, uh, maybe I could look around and uh, try something else for a change. No, it, it didn't have to do with anything that you just said with regards to really why I decided to move on. It was just the playing. Although you did mention the four on the floor. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, that, that was a thing. There's not there's anything wrong with that. You know, it's no. just I need to do more. Yeah. Just just do more, you know, be able to be a bit more uh, creative. And that's all it was, you know. Were you the first official member of ACDC to quit? Um... ACDC Beyond the Thunder theme song, Trailer Trash, written and performed by Gannon Arnold. VO Talent by Bruce Jacobson. Cinematography and sound recording by Greg Ferguson. Edited and mixed by Eric Keel. Written, directed, and hosted by Kurt Squires. Produced by Greg Ferguson, Eric Keel, and Kurt Squires. ACDC Beyond the Thunder is a Squires LLC current motion production. Copyright Beyond the Thunder podcast. All rights reserved. This has been a Nat Attack presentation. Shazbot Nanu Nanu.